Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated uh, for the Refuash Lema of Eliyahu Shimon Mazal Fortune, for the continued health of Chana Bat Simafega, as well in loving memory of, Re- of uh, Rachel Silvera, Aleah Shalom Edunishpad Rachel Bat Polisa, sponsored by Carol and Maurice Silvera, in loving memory of Michael Haim Zarabi, Lilui Nishmat Haim Ben Moshevi Ivan, for his fifth Askara by his brother David Zarabi, and as well, dedicated in loving memory, Ludenshmat Ephraim ben Eliyahu Vetuta Boaziz for his Azkara by his son, Philippe Yaakov Boaziz. Is Philippe still here? Yes. Oh, there he is. Oh. Um, we're glad that we were able to do the Azkara. Mechila? And Esther Bat Aharon as well. We also like to uh, wish a, a beautiful Mazal Tov to uh, the Chira and Saida families on the upcoming marriage of their children today. Uh, it should be b'sha'atovah mutzlahat, with much beracha, with much simcha, with uh, many children, uh, success, wealth, parnasah, happiness, uh, shalom bayit, etc., etc., all the good, all the good stuff. Kol ha-berachot ha-ktuvot v'sefer hazeh. Okay, let's begin. My friends, we are introduced in this week's parasha, parashat lech lecha, to a new kind of character. And what's interesting to me is that, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a tendency of the Torah to pull what they used to do in, uh, in episodes, whether it was radio or TV or whatever. Let me explain what I mean. The way it would work is you have an episode and something happens, and then right before the end of the movie, TV, TV show, radio episode, book, that they put the main character is all of a sudden uh, in a cliffhanger moment, right? And he jumps and it ends that way and you don't know what happens. So you got to come back and get the next one. At the end of Parashat Bereshit, what do we read? Noach We read about Noach. In the end of Parashat Noach, what do we read about? Avram. So it's almost like each time they're giving us a little bit of a cliffhanger so you come back. But my, my friends, what I want to point out is that there's a very interesting shift that happens from Parashat Noach to Parashat Lech Lecha. In Parashat Lech Lecha, we're introduced to this character called Avram. Now, the fact that Avram is righteous is a good thing, obviously. But it seems like there's something fundamentally different about Avram and all the great tzaddikim that come before him. Like, let me explain. Mitushelach, big tzaddik. Chanoch, unbelievable. So righteous that the pasuk says, uh, and Chanoch grew up ve'enenu, and he was no longer. Why? Because Hashem had taken him. The commentators explain, what does it mean he wasn't? He stopped existing? What does it mean Hashem had taken him? The rabbis explain that God took Chanoch with his perfect uh, record, he took him out. That's like taking a pitcher who's pitching a perfect game out in the ninth inning with two outs. Why? Because you're afraid he might mess it up. That's literally what Chazal tell us. Some fascinating stuff about Chanoch. One opinion is that Chanoch actually, when God takes him from this world early in his perfection, he becomes the, uh, the, uh, the archangel, so to speak, the main angel in the Shamayim called Metatron. Wild stuff about Chanoch. But Chanoch is amazing. 
אדם הראשון, אמייזינג. מתושלח, אמייזינג. נוח, צדיק. But all of a sudden Avram comes, and there's something fundamentally different about Avram. Avram has a son Yitzchak, Yitzchak has a son Yaakov, and they start an entirely new nation, to the point that people ask me all the time, Rabbi, Noach says in the Torah was a Sadiq, was Noach Jewish? Was Metushelach Jewish? What were they? Were they obligated to keep the mitzvot that Jews keep? Fascinating question. In fact, there's even a question about whether the Avot were Jewish. Well, let me explain what that means. Of course they were Jewish. We're Jewish because we're their, they're their children and grandchildren, right? But the halakha, the question rises as to what was Avraham prior to the fact that there was Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, the giving of the Torah. What was Avraham? The Gemara even tells us that the Avot, <coughs> the Avot kept all the mitzvot. But there's a machloket in halakha if they had a halakha of being halachic Jews with all the obligations of the Jewish people. Let me give you so far as how far this question goes. There's a famous question. We know a Jewish person has an obligation to keep Shabbat. If you don't keep Shabbat, person on purpose does not keep Shabbat with witnesses. I mean, it's terrible punishment. So a Jew is obligated to keep Shabbat. But there's also halakha. Goy she Shabbat, hayav mita. A non-Jewish person is not allowed to keep Shabbat. So much so that a person who's going through a conversion, by the way, Right? What do they do? They start keeping all the mitzvot in preparation of becoming a full-fledged Jew when they go, when they finish becoming a ger. What do they do on Shabbat in the gerut process? They go through the whole Shabbat and then right before Shabbat's over, they turn the light off and on, privately. Why? Because they're not allowed to keep Shabbat. So the question the commentators ask is what did Avraham Avinu, Yitzchak Avinu, Yaakov, what did they do? They had this quasi-state Jewish, not Jewish, because Judaism doesn't exist yet. They were intuiting all of the mitzvot that God wanted from the Jewish people. And they were doing all those mitzvot. So far, the Gemara says that they were even fulfilling mitzvot that were dirabanan. Okay? But what did they do about Shabbat? Because it's inherent contradiction. You can't do both. If they didn't do it and they were supposed to, hayav mitah. If they did it and they weren't supposed to, hayav mitah. So the commentators bring fascinating examples of how you would deal with this question. And one of the answers that they bring, one of the answers that they bring is that they would carry Birshut HaRabim using an Eruv. Why? Because the idea of Eruv was a Takanat Chachamim to bring the Jewish community together. It would not apply outside. So therefore... The carrying in that place, that was one answer. So I gave, I remember when I was young, another answer to this question. I said they wore tzitzit in a place with no eruv. Why? Because if they were not Jewish, they have no hayuv to wear tzitzit. It's an extra beged they're only wearing for the purpose of having tzitzit. So a beged that you're wearing for no inherent purpose is considered carrying on Shabbat. So they have all these hoops that we're jumping through in order to understand Avraham and his status. Now my friends, why do I bring up this extremely technical, detailed question? And I'll tell you why. Because I think that there's something here under the surface which is magnificent. Whether Avraham was Jewish or not, 
Avraham did not receive the Torah. And yet he's fulfilling even mitzvot that are rabbinic in nature. How? So let me give you the cheating answer. The cheating answer is Avraham is a prophet. So even though God has not yet said, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, God's not yet given any of the mitzvot of the Torah, hasn't happened yet. But Avraham knows what they are. Why? Because he's a prophet. That's a simple answer. But in fact, the Chachamim, the Midrash explains something a little bit different. And I find this to be something which is very profound. It's not that Avraham knew because he was a prophet. Avraham knew, it says, because he was able to intuit from creation what God wanted from creation. Let me give you an example by way of a famous story. You have a, a Hasidic Rebbe and a, his student comes to visit him. He's waiting many, many years to be able to go spend Shabbat with the great rabbi. He goes on Shabbat, he's sitting with the great rabbi. He sees the rabbi, takes an apple, Baruch Atah Hashem, eats the apple. Everyone is sitting there looking, watching the rabbi, seeing how he does a beracha, etc., etc. At the end, the guy comes up to the rabbi, he's like, Rabbi, I don't understand. Why are you such a big deal? You eat an apple, and I eat an apple. You make a beracha, and I make a beracha. The rabbi smiles at him, pats him on the cheek. He says, you know what the difference is? You make a beracha in order to eat the apple. I eat the apple in order to make a beracha. Famous story. Okay? The idea of Avraham Avinu was not just that he'd learned to use the physical world for spiritual pursuits. That he sanctified money, property, luxury, food, that he turned food into an opportunity for hachnasat orchim. That's not what it is. That's level one. But level two is much more profound. It's that Avraham Avinu could hear in something that smelled good, he could hear a hayuv, an obligation to bless God. If I see God in this beautiful thing that smells so wonderful, God creates the world from nothing. That means that every part of the creation of this world needed to be premeditated. So that means that not only did God decide about humankind, about free will, about good and evil, not only did God make a trillion of those decisions, Hashem is sitting there looking, you know the Hadassim leaves that they used to pass out, you know, or the mint leaves that they would pass out in shul so you could rub before, you get the beautiful smell. Hashem is sitting there looking at a leaf, he's like, you know which scent? That scent. <laughs> Hadassim. Yeah, okay, let me think. Uh, boom. The, le- the etrog, it's going to be citrusy, but not exactly like a lemon. God is literally sitting there. There's a name for these people. The people that sit and work with fragrances. You go to a store, they have this number, this number, every fragrance has another name, and they're mixing sandalwood with mabarif, okay? And they're making whatever, musk, putting together this with this, making all the different fragrances. God in heaven has nothing better to do then take a fragrance and attach it to a fruit or a flower. Avraham Avinu saw that and he saw the kindness of a king, of a creator, who thought to himself, you know something? There's going to be some guy who's going to be, uh, you know, walking down the street 
and not in a great spirit, and all of a sudden he'll pass by a flower store, and he'll smell something, and he'll say, Yishtabach Shemo. Avraham saw in that a necessity of blessing, making a blessing on, on, uh, uh, on Bissamim. What Avraham could see in the world was things that were opportunities for making a, a, a biracha, for doing a mitzvah. Avraham realized that if you have a house and the house is high and the roof allows for someone to walk off that roof, the same way you're obligated to take care of someone, you're obligated to protect someone. So Avraham Avinu understood, intuited, that a person would be obligated to build a fence around their roof, the mitzvah of ma'akeh. Avraham understood, if, I want, if I'm supposed to do achnasat orchim, if I'm supposed to take care of you, I'm supposed to feed you, I obviously can't leave a hole in the ground, I have to cover up a bar. He was able to understand the mitzvot from creation. My friends, we learn from this such a deep truth. We learn from this that the Torah doesn't exist here in books on paper. It exists in our heart, in our kidneys, in our liver, in our gut. And if we were able to remove from ourselves the negative influences, the peer pressure, the societal pressure to think a certain way, if we were able to do that, then a Jew who was trying to be pure would be able to sense, to feel the things that are correct. I want to give you an example of how this looks, what this feels like. We all know that Abraham Avinu, in the next parasha, right, in Vayera, in two, two parashot from now, Abraham Avinu is going to be given a commandment. And what's his commandment? His commandment is to take his son, Yitzhak Avinu, and bring him to the Akedah. Bring him to the top of the mountain. Ha'alehu sham. Bring him up there. Now the word ha'alehu is a tricky word. Because ha'alehu could mean take him up the mountain. And ha'alehu, same root of the word, ola, could also mean sacrifice him. God leaves it in a way where it's ambiguous because he's trying to test Avraham Avinu to see if he's willing to give up everything for the, for the mitzvot v'hakadosh baruch Now the pasuk tells us something remarkable. Does God want Avraham to sacrifice Yitzchak? No. He doesn't want. And what's the proof? He stops him from doing so. So when God commands Avraham to go do this, Avraham has a direct command from God. He's got to do it. But says the Pasuk something remarkable. Vayar et merachok. Avraham Avinu was traveling towards uh, the, uh, the place where he's supposed to do it. And he sees hamakom, the place far away. The commentators explain that what you're reading here is a profound, a beautiful statement. Avraham Avinu felt the word hamakom could mean the place, but it's also a reference to God himself. Avraham felt, even though he was doing this mitzvah, he felt that God was not with this. He had a direct commandment from God. But he couldn't feel. He could not feel that God was there. He could not feel that God wanted this. Because in his, inner, in his, in the, in his blood, in his bones, he could intuit, he could feel that a mitzvah just felt right. And Avon, it just felt right wrong. I don't know. You ever feel that? I have a bad feeling about it. I feel like this is not right. You go, you ask the rabbi. Rabbi's like, absolutely. Halakha is. You're not allowed to. Where does that feeling come from? 
My rabbi used to talk about this all the time. The pure subconscious of a Jew. The pure subconscious of a Jew. A Jew, when he is pure, when she is pure, when we've managed to block out the noise from outside, your heart, your mind are in tune with what God wants of you. Your gut will tell you what the right thing to do is. My friends, we learned this from Abraham Avinu. Because Abraham Avinu, the biggest part of Abraham Avinu's work is not even recorded in the Torah. Baruch Atah. Sorry, I didn't say Hashem's name yet. Please do not say Amen unless you're here live. Baruch Atah. Abraham Avinu spends the early part of his life having grown up not as the son of a rabbi, but as the son of not only an idol worshiper, but the person who sells idols to everybody else. That's Terach, Avi Avraham. Avraham Avinu in a generation of idol worshippers, in a family of idol worshippers, the son of an idol worshipper. What does Avraham Avinu do? What does he decide? He says to himself, this just does not add up. I understand this is what everyone wants me to think, but doesn't make sense. I can't, I can't buy into it. And Avram changes the course of his life and thereby the course of history by shutting up that outside voice, that noise. And when Avram does so, suddenly we're able to see, to feel, to intuit that which is good. I'm talking to you about this because what I'm trying to say is that if this exists and you don't feel it, it's something to work on. I meet people who are so well-meaning. They're so the kindest, nicest people. They just didn't grow up with Torah or Judaism. They start learning Torah three days in, they already have their finger on the pulse, what's right and wrong. How? Al-Chachamim tell us something unbelievable. Every baby, every Jewish child before they're born, studies the entirety of the Torah with the Malachim. Before he's born, the Malach, so to speak, gives him a uh, little tap on his, uh, on his uh, lip, and the baby forgets everything, forgets everything that he learned. Rav Noach Weinberg used to ask, if you're going to make the baby forget everything, why teach it to him in the first place? And he answers something that's so beautiful. He says the reason is because when a person learns or encounters truth, they know it because they've seen it already. It's not a learning of truth, but a recognition of something you already know. It feels right. That feeling is the purpose of teaching the child everything. You have inside of you already all of Torah, all of mitzvot, all of spirituality. Elohai, neshama shenatatabi tehorahi. The soul you put inside of me. Torahi, atabirata, you created it. Atayisarta, you fashioned it. Atanafahdabi, and you blew inside of my. Uh, of my body, this spirit, this neshama. My friends, I want to illustrate and show you that there are two words over there that most people don't know the difference between. 
One is atabirata, you created my soul. And one is atayisarta, and one is you fashioned. What's the difference between the fact that God created your soul and fashioned your soul? Isn't that the same thing? By the way, we actually use the word yitzira to mean creation as well. Where do we have that? Yotzer or Look at that. Same two words. Why is it Yotzer or Ubore Choshech? It should be either Bore or Vachoshech or Yotzer or Vachoshech. What is this terminology of Yotzer or Ubore Choshech? What is this Ataberata Atayitzarta? My friends, I want to share with you something amazing. Bore means to create something. Yitzira means to fashion it. Bore is nothing to something. Yitzira is to create. The word Yitzira comes from the root of the word Tzura, which means a form. When God created the sun and the moon, they were equal partners with equal light. The moon complained and said, what's going on over here? You can't have two kings serving in the same kingdom? God says, you're absolutely right. Go reduce yourself. The sun had not said anything. He did not respond, didn't try to fight to be the big guy. Hashem said, you're not fighting. You're listening to someone put you down, try to take advantage of you. You're quiet. I'm going to let you remain the, big, the, the bigger one. The moon, on the other hand, is reduced. Listen to this because this is amazing. We learned two weeks ago in the class that it's not only that the moon was reduced because it complained, there are two separate things that happened in that moment. One was that the moon complained. And what was God's response to the moon? Make yourself smaller. Which one is smaller now? The moon. Which one is bigger? The sun. Why? Because the moon was diminished. But then the Pasuk says, and our Chachamim explained to us, that the sun in hearing, number one, he didn't complain. Number two, he also didn't answer back. What did God do to the sun? He made the sun bigger. You hear that? That's why it's Boreh Choshech. Because Choshech is the net creation from nothing to something. It was never made more than the creation. In fact, it was made less after that process. But with regards to the sun, God made something and then fashioned it into something else. Do you hear that? You hear the difference? Bore is the creation, ex nihilo, from nothing. Yitzira is the, fa- is the fashioning of that thing. So as an example, imagine you take clay. How do you make the clay? Bore means to take the, the sand, the flour, whatever, mix it together. Eventually you have this thing. Clay. Now is the process of sculpting, of making something specific. A human being is a biryah, a creation, and they are yitzira. They're sorry, they're something which was made, creation, and they're also something which was fashioned. Where do we see this? We say v'yavin, right at the uh, in the Amida on Rosh Shana. We say v'yavin kol yitzur, right? Ki atayisato. But what else is there? V'yeda kol paul ki atapato. V'yavin kol yitzur. We keep using other words separate from yitzur. Why? 
a human being was also created. Hashem was, right? He created mankind. Vayivra Elokim. And He created. But when it came to a human being, God was Vayitzer. He fashioned a human. Because a human being, even after being built to be a functional living thing, God then fashioned that human being to be a surah, like we say, we were created Elokim. We were created in the image of God. God planted something in each and every one of us, which is this unbelievable compass that's meant to guide us in every way, in every day of our life. And if you've not unearthed that compass, what an unbelievable job that, that is and that can be. It starts with step one, shutting down the noise. Stopping to allow the influences of the world to shape your worldview. What people should be like. What morality is like. What ethics look like. Today, ethics is about being and saying something popular. That's what it is. You have people coming out with statements about the war in Israel. Two minutes later, deleting it. They're asking, they're supposed to be people who are influencers, and they're asking effectively their crowds to tell them what they think they should say. They're being influenced when they're supposed to be influencers. Today, a person needs to understand that morality can be very unpopular. And that's okay. And that's okay for each and every one of us to be able to touch this. That's what changed with Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Generation after generation after generation. And suddenly there was this thing called Chuta Mishulash, like it says in the Shilomo HaMelech, a three-twine string. Lob does not come undone. Once they planted that in us, they created a generational thing in a Jew. That a Jew's neshama, his soul, is meant to feel, see, understand, connect, intuit to that which is correct. I almost feel like this is something a person should do every once in a while. They should read some of these halachic questions and see if they can guess the answer. If they can feel the answer. You're listening to a, to a class, the rabbi asks a question, stop. See if you can guess the answer. We have a Gemara class that meets Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. We just started a new parak. if you'd like to join us, in Masechet uh, Megillah. And my friends, one of the happiest days of, my, of that Gemara class was with guys that have not learned Gemara, many of them, ever in their life. And it was very tough to learn how the Gemara asks, how it answers. And then one day, one of the guys asked a question on what we were learning, and that was the Gemara's next question. And then one of the other guys says, what is he talking about? And he answered an answer. And that was the Gemara's answer. And the other guy said, nah, that's not the answer. This is it. That was the Gemara's next answer. It was the most beautiful thing. It reduced me to tears. What is happening? Eventually, as you grow, as you learn, as you know, you start peeling away those outside layers. And the inner Jew comes out. My friends, that's what changed with Avraham Avinu. It wasn't random people being tzaddikim. It was something that was being passed down generation to generation. Become that yourself. And then your children will also carry on this unbelievable thing 
of uh, an inner voice that always can tell them, at least if they're listening, at least if they quiet the outside noise, what the right thing to do is. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.